You know, I love the sequencing of that song in terms of the lyrics. Like a rushing wind, Jesus breathed within, and then what? Then it's Lord, have your way. Then it's I surrender. And frankly, that's what we've been praying as a church for weeks now. We've been saying, Lord, by your spirit, move in us. Toward what? I mean, toward what end? Ultimately, that we might surrender, which is kind of a scary thing, you know? Have your way in me. I surrender. We kind of want to know what the program is on the front end. Hey, Lord, why don't you tell me what I'm surrendering to exactly, and then maybe we can negotiate a few of the finer details or maybe some of the bigger details, and then I'll decide whether or not I'm going to do that. But it doesn't always work that way. And sometimes, hey, it works out so much better than we ever imagined it would, and we all know that in the end, it will exceedingly, abundantly beyond anything that we can ask or imagine. That's the way it ends for us. The story ends gloriously and far more so than we can imagine. But sometimes it's hard too. And yet God uses the hard times. He redeems those things. So one of the saddest, I think, and and maybe one of the more surprising stories that we find in the Old Testament, which is the part of the Bible written before the life of Jesus, is the story of the Babylonian captivity, or really of the Babylonian exile, which I'm going to spare you the details on. But the bottom line on the story is that it's the story of the total overthrow of the Israelites by the Babylonian empire, which was huge, massive, powerful, and brutal which swept over much of the then-known world, including the part of the world that they lived in, they came in, the Babylonians did, and utterly decimated the Israelites militarily. And then if that wasn't enough, then they then destroyed the temple of God and took out all of its articles of worship to bring back to one of the temples of their pagan gods. And then if that wasn't enough, they dismantled the capital city of of Jerusalem the capital city of the Israelites, and then they gathered up a whole group of these Israelites, not all of them, but a lot of them, and they said, okay, guys, we're going to take a really long walk. (laughs) We're going to herd you like cattle, young and old, sick and healthy, from your capital city of Jerusalem all the way to our capital city of Babylon, which is effectively like walking from here to Atlanta, except they didn't go in a straight line. They went like in a big U, so it's like walking from here to Atlanta, you know, by means or by way of New Orleans. Imagine that. And then when they get to Babylon, they say to the Israelites, okay, guys, this is your new home. So settle in because you're not leaving and your kids are not leaving and your kids' kids are not leaving. In other words, this is it for you, which really, I mean, if you think it through, left them with two options. So option number one is, all right. Accept that and just assimilate into the Babylonians. In other words, abandon their unique and distinct identity as God's people in this world and instead adopt the gods and the morals and the ethics and the whatnot of the Babylonians and just be absorbed into them, which, by the way, is exactly what the Babylonians wanted them to do. But then option number two was, uh uh-uh, no way. We're going to reject Babylon. We're going to reject its culture. We're going to reject its people. We're going to reject everything about it. We're going to create our own little community within the context of this great and mighty city of Babylon, and we're going to interact with these people as little as possible, and we're going to become totally insular. That's what the Israelites wanted to do. And I mean, look, when you think it through, having been decimated, having seen all of this stuff happen, having been herded as far as they were herded, you can kind of get that, can't you? You probably wouldn't feel overly friendly at that point. But the Lord comes with a different option. He says, listen, neither of those work. So here's what I want you to do. Jeremiah the prophet relays it to them. 
And he says it this way in Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 4. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom, you ready? I, God, have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Listen, man, sometimes it is far better following the Lord than you ever thought it would be. And sometimes it's, I, the Lord, have sent you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. But not without a reason. Not without a reason for you and not without a reason, believe it or not, for the Babylonians. And so then here's how you're to live as exiles in this city, God says to them. He says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. What is he saying? He's saying, hey man, develop a life in the midst of this city that I have sent you into as exiles. Build your homes, build your businesses, build your relationships, network, do all of this kind of stuff. And then take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. In other words, he says, multiply there and do not decrease while you're in this city, while you're living as exiles. But instead do what? Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, why are we even looking at this? Like, I mean, what is the point? These people lived thousands of years ago. This is a totally different deal. The reason that we are is that when we get to the New Testament, the part of the Bible written after the birth and after the perfect life and after the sufferings and death, why? For me and for you. To pay the debt that we owe to God for all our failures died in our place after the burial and even the resurrection of Jesus, which if he is God is really not crazy. It's actually kind of makes sense as well as the rest of his life. Okay, the part of the Bible written after that comes to me and it comes to you and it says, hey, let me tell you who you are. And really, let me tell you what you are. You are an exile. Now, not in Babylon, but wherever you live in the world. And in our case, right here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And you say, all right, well then, so how are we supposed to live? Here's what we're not to do. We're not to abandon our unique identity as as God's people in the world and just adopt the gods and the morals and the ethics and whatnot of our city and, and effectively be absorbed into them and cease to exist. But here's what else we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to reject our city and its culture and its people and and become totally insular and just kind of, you know, get in our little holy huddle and pretend like nothing else and no one else exists and just interact as little as we possibly can and just kind of be really, really just to ourselves. That, That doesn't work either. But instead, it's pretty obvious, right? God's saying, listen, you're in exile in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Make your life here. Build your home. Have your kids, build your business, network, develop relationships, and multiply. How? By means of the gospel, by sharing your faith with other people. Add, increase while you're in exile. Do not decrease and pray for your city. All right. When's the last time you prayed for this city? It's kind of convicting, right? Pray for your city and seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you into exile in. And here's why, because in its welfare, you will find your own welfare. Well, how how does that work? I think that's the case, because when we become such an undeniable force for good in this city, 
When the people of this city realize that we are seeking their welfare, no matter what they believe, no matter who they are, then all of a sudden the people of the city start going, hey, you know, these guys are all right. Like our city is a better place to live because these guys are living out their faith in the midst of it. And some of those folks, at least, will come to us and go, okay, so what's the deal with you people? And what do we then get to do? We get to point them to Christ. We get to say, hey, listen, the deal with us is, I mean, we live this way not because we ought to, not because we should, not because we feel guilty if we don't, not because it's what good Christians do. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, but instead, we live this way because God has captured our heart through the love of Christ. He has poured himself into us, and we can't not do it. And beyond that, our God has come, and he has promised to meet our needs. Why has he promised to meet our needs? So that we can then be free to meet yours. I have one who's meeting my needs. I know that if I'm generous, he'll still meet my needs. He's blessed me to be a blessing, and I'm living that out by faith. It's amazing. And when that happens, what happens is we're not exalted, but Jesus is exalted. Our God is exalted, and that's the whole idea. Jesus says the same thing when you get to the New Testament. He says in Matthew 5, verse 14, he says, you Christians, you people who follow me, okay, so here's who you are. You are the light of the world. And here's what light does, real simple, light shines. And he illustrates this kind of shining. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Why? Well, because in those days and in that part of the world, the cities were built of limestone. It's a white stone. It gleams. And at night, it was lit up with torches. The walls of the city lit up with torches. The, the houses and the, and the buildings in the city lit up with torches. And so you take that city made of gleaming white stone, lit up at night with torches, and you put it on a hill in a world with no electricity and far from being hidden. Like you can't, I mean, you're going to see that guy for miles. It's amazing. And then he says, nor do people light a lamp, meaning an oil burning lamp in a home with no electricity, and then put it under a basket. Look, you don't light it to hide it. You put it on a stand, and why do you do that? So that it can give light to everybody in the house. Or let me put it differently, so that it can dispel as much darkness in the home as possible. And so then Jesus concludes, and he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Before the others in your family, as we talked about two weeks ago. Before your neighbors, as we talked about last week. But, as we're talking about today, let... Let your light so shine in this city, man, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, which is why we're constantly talking about things like foster care and homelessness and sexual abuse prevention and, 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 and care. And it's why we're talking about unwanting pregnancies. We talk about all these different things. It's why we sent out this week via the app, and it's also on our website, a community engagement survey. We're trying to survey the resources and the assets of the people in our congregation and not your financial assets. It's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about what do you do for a living? What are your interests? What are you involved in? What clubs are you involved in? What boards do you serve? And what are your passions? All of these kinds of things so that when Mount Bethel Human Services has a need for a van, we can go, hey, we've got a whole database for ministry to the city and we've got, you know, six guys are in this church that have businesses that, I don't know, they use work trucks and vans. Why don't we just send out an email and see? If anybody has one, they can donate. And then it happens. We're able to do that when we have that kind of information. It's why we're encouraging you to vote this week. We don't tell you who to vote for at this church. But we do say, look, we have the privilege of voting. We believe that as Christians, we should do that. 
And we should do it in a way that in good conscience before the Lord we think would be most pleasing to him. That's it. It's why for the third year in a row, together with other churches and other congregations here in our city in Broward County, and this year, Palm Beach County has joined us as well. We're participating in this month of November in this effort called Love South Florida, which as Matt said, that's what this table is all about. And by the way, if you forgot to bring food today, you can bring it until Wednesday at noon. That's actually the drop dead moment, okay? But if you can, do it. If you want to use Amazon Pantry, do it. There's lists and information on the app and the website in terms of what to get. But you get the idea? And it's why we have sought out a partnership with Fort Lauderdale High School here in our city. You know, we realized long ago that the church, I mean, long ago, really lost its place as the hub of activity in the community. It used to be that the church was in the center of all things, education, health care, the whole shooting match, social services, the church did it all. Obviously, that's no longer the case. And in many ways, the public school has become the hub of the community. And so a few years back, we went to Fort Lauderdale High School and said, what can we do to help? What can we do to serve? How can we come alongside you guys? How can we be an encouragement to you? How can we help you do whatever it is that you're trying to do in service to the families and the students in this community even better than you're doing it already? And they are remarkable and amazing. And so this morning, uh, we are honored to have Priscilla Ribeiro, who is the, uh, the principal of Fort Lauderdale High School, with us. Uh, she was with us a couple of years ago, and we asked her if she would come back again this morning. And what I want to do is just ask Scott and her to come on up, and they're going to talk a little bit about what the church has done, not just our church, but the church, several churches, to partner together to be light at Fort Lauderdale High School. So if you'll welcome Priscilla. So to echo Tom's welcome, um, I just want to say thank you for coming this morning. I know it came a little bit earlier than you would have liked. Please share with everybody here, what were you doing last night? Last night we were at homecoming dance at the Sinesta. Beautiful view. It was a wonderful uh, opportunity to see the kids all dressed up, but a late night. (laughs) The day before was the football game, and so uh, 22 to 0. Sorry, Dragons. (laughs) I think we have some alumni in here, too. So, But thank you for coming. We know that this is kind thank of an you. early morning. Um, but as Tom said, as we want to seek the welfare of the city, we need to do that by seeking the welfare of the school. And we know that that comes with challenges. So what does it look like at your school? So first I want to um, share how very unique I feel our school is. And it starts with, um, you know, the instructional focus. But... From the beginning, I was fortunate enough to have Matt and Didi's kid at our school, and um, they they reached out from the start to you know just offer support and and just let us know that they were there. And then, as Tom, Tom said, you know he he sent you to us, and I can't even explain how it makes a person feel. I mean, it's an overwhelming job to be the principal, and and in my case, because I feel so responsible, you know, we had 1,700 kids when I started, Um, there's 2,100 now, Uh, graduation rate was 79%, it is 99% last year, so, I mean, um, and I love doing instruction, but we know that um, that's only a part, so I like to help my teachers who are 
feel empty after a day of teaching, um, and they have to have their content so that our kids can be competitive in the global market. But the social emotional learning is a part that you know research wide says it's so it's the mo- it's so important, you sp- especially our children that um, are most fragile. They come missing so much, and when they come to school just to be safe, uh, just to have a, a place where they can belong. They're not necessarily ready to learn, right? They're, they just, it's the, sometimes I think about it, and when I hear the stories of my kids, and I shared uh, earlier that, you know, we dropped off a kid, one of the coaches dropped, no door on the house, no electricity. Um, and they, they smile and bye, see you tomorrow. So how important is homework? How important is, you know, math and science? We have to start by filling them up with their social-emotional and being able to connect with the resources that you guys provide, um, whether it's um, Taylor's Closet, who now has a club at our school called Bloom, and 80 girls a week go there and just you know have that unconditional love, have that opportunity to see a role model, to see something different from what they would normally get to be loved unconditionally is a unique experience for them to start realizing that they have something to give. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's love and attention and helping others. Um, you've connected us with many different groups. Live the Life is, has two classes, uh, um, just recruiting teachers, uh, the school board is still 300 teachers short. Um, Justin Broward, 4,000 around the state, and I imagine it's going to continue to become more and more challenging as just the world changes and the kids come needing so much. So that ability to connect us, Courtney has, uh, you know, you introduced mm-hmm. us to Courtney, our peer counseling teacher, and I met her six months before she started and just, I'm like, oh, yeah, you have to be at our school. So she has peer counseling the first year. We just put, you know, mismatched kids in there. This year there's a wait list. So um, what she does and, and the way she changes the people that she meets and all, all the different people, you come into our school and you will feel, there is a different feeling. People tell me all the time, you know, even alumni will come and there's like something's different and it's, I believe, you know, the support, the love, the pouring into the school at the beginning of the year, the best thing ever is um, when the teachers come to their lunch, like the final lunch and before the kids are going to come in, and uh, we've been working really hard, and there's this wall of people applauding and thanking them, and they're like, wow, you know, somebody appreciates us. They're not calling a complaint or, you know, yell at us or tell us, you know. So it is such a great feeling. And then, you know, you love on us and you pray for us and um, you feed us and then they give gifts to the teachers like those treasured colored markers and colored paper. And you don't even know how that makes um, them feel appreciated. And it just... It helps to start that year off, and at this point, we're already feeling, you know, like empty. We're on empty already, and um, 
So I'm glad to be here because it's making me feel better. Um, But I hope that uh, you guys continue to help us just with that support and and just praying for us and praying for your city, but also for your public schools because, you know, 79% is a certain group, but 99% is the whole group almost. And that's what you really want in your community, don't you? You want people who have something to give back versus just take. So So I'm so grateful to everything and... You know, it doesn't show every day. We can't, don't have time to come and thank you every day, but I appreciate it, and That's so do all our teachers and students. So. Well, and... <laughs> I know for us it's a privilege to come alongside you guys to, to help meet some of the tangible needs of the school that while you focus on curriculum, we can focus on those emotional needs, demonstrating love and bringing, hopefully, morale-boosting opportunities for the teachers and for the students and one of those opportunities we had um, a couple years ago was providing clothes for the football team. So a lot of, you'll see a picture of it behind us, but each one of those students got pants and a dress shirt so that they could dress up for, home, for their home games and their away games and also look like a team. Tell me about the impact that just those outfits have made in the lives of those students. So, you know, we talked about, I, when I started at the school, I had a dream and I had a vision and... The football team is a good example. So I came into a school with um, a football team of thugs. And, and nice kids, too. But really, like there were some students that were stealing and were in trouble. And it was... I'm like, this is not... These can't be my role models. I can't go on the announcements and say, come on and cheer our football players who took your phone last week and your wallet. Um, it just wasn't right. So in my, in my mind's eye, I was like, they, they do this because they don't know better. Because just like I can't imagine their lives, they can't imagine a better life. And they don't have that vision and hope. And so... And this, this was like that day, seven years ago, I started, in, you know, hoping from praying for this. And, um, you know, FCA and Mason came into the school, and they, they've mentored, and Matt mentored. And, you know, those boys have been there since freshman year, and I'm going to be so sad when they go this year, because, I mean, that whole that whole road, they're all going to colleges, they're like being recruited by Dartmouth, by, um, you know, great schools, and it's such an honor and a privilege to have been a part of that, and knowing that we can do something for them that their parents can't do for them, that no one else has done for them, so it's just, um, and that's just the beginning, because that's one small group, but there are many, many, many children, and Every time they get to be involved, I mean, re- literally, we have to tell them, you have to go now, please, go home. And, and the, one of the things I did do when I went to the school was to open our doors and say, no, like, you, the, this, I don't want them in the streets. They're better off here. So we kept them. And, and it's been hard since the Stoneman Douglas tragedy because we've had to adjust things and we can't just be open, open. So even having the different mentoring clubs and things gives them some place to be where I know they're safe and, and productive. 
So it's um, you know, part of that vision is that every student have some place to go every day after school, um, so that they can be cared for. So tell us, as we think about continuing our partnership and our relationship and seeking the welfare of the school, what's one tangible way that we can continue to do that this next year? So I'm going to ask you, small, pray. You know, if you can't remember every day, just as, there's a lot of people here. So if everybody remembers one day a month, then um, I think we'll be okay. Um, mentor, we need help um, just having people that are safe people for my kids to talk to and to um, just see a difference. One of the people that um, you connected us with was uh, uh, Leighton and the church that rents the school on Sundays. And they met one of our students who I had met as a freshman, and he, he was always in trouble. So I actually met him because he was about to get in a fight. And I was like, no, come with me. We're going to talk. And um, he, we just started talking, and he started telling me the story. He was taken away from his mother, his dad, which was his idol at the moment, had several different families, and, but didn't want him in the house because his current family was younger kids. So he was out in the streets till you know his dad would let him in ten, eleven o'clock at night, and then they had a fight, and he got kicked out of his house, and then he got to live with his grandmother, and he got kicked out of his grandmother's house, and Leighton saw him and said um, one day at the school and said, you know, if you come to school on Sunday, or if you come and help me on Sunday, I'm I'll buy you a pair of shoes, and uh, I know it's silly, but you know it's a small thing. The the student has been there every Sunday since. So it's been a year and two weeks that they've been at our school. And he is a new person. And he still has hardships. But people from that church have kind of adopted him in. And he lives with one of the families that goes to the church. And he's seen something new. And instead of, you know, he's, he's learning new things. He's learning how to be a, a man of integrity, a person who wants to, to give back, to have a, one family, to do the right thing. And, you know, and it's hard for him. Every day he has to overcome things. So you know, pray for our kids. Pray for um, the school, for my teachers who, they, they're so good. And I called in a teacher and I said, she was very angry, and I was like, you got to get those cranky pants off because you're a leader in here, and you can't be mad all the time. And, um, but, you know, she was mad because she's frustrated. She's like, I put, you know, all this time, and I'm trying to get this to happen, and I've been correcting, and you, you asked me about this work, so we've been redoing it so that now I have even more papers to grade and give it immediate feedback. And then I pick up my kid at 5 o'clock, and she started crying, and I just you know, joined her in that because we give so much to other people's kids and then we don't have anything left at home. So, you know, it's a great job and it's a calling when you do it right, but we need just support. You know, we need to know, and and I believe that he will touch the lives of everyone that you pray for. So, you know, just please help us that way and 
I know it's a privilege for us to be able to continue to pray for you guys. I know as we talk about the future of our partnership, one of the opportunities we have through Love South Florida is an opportunity to create a scholarship fund for college students and for graduating seniors. And it's not just for the seniors that are going to get a scholarship to wherever they want to go, but it's there's a principal scholarship where the principals come together and identify students who have exemplified what it means to be a flying L that has shown that 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 hard work, that determination, that loyalty to the school. And then through that, we're able to provide them hope of a possible future. And that just in giving um, $39 a person or per family, we are hoping to raise $10,000 through a church partnership between us and four other churches to give students hope that as we want to seek the welfare of the school, their futures, our futures are equally tied. And that college scholarship is an easy way to donate some money that will be able to see our city flourish, which is what our hope and our plan is. And you can do that. You can go to our website or the app to do that. Or if you just write a check um, and put it in one of the offering plates one day, just put Love South Florida on it. And it goes to helping students like the one you mentioned, who at one point didn't. Started helping out for shoes, has found a family, and we hope to be able to find a future as well. So thank you for all that you do. And thank Thank you for coming Thank you so much to each of you. Thank you. All right, that's awesome. And I hope that's an encouragement to you, you know, as a part of this church. Uh, if you're not directly involved, you're indirectly involved. And that is a wonderful thing. So we're really glad for that. All right, we're going to pray for them in a moment. But before we do that, uh, I just thought I'd ask you guys, what do you feel like Jesus is saying to you today? So from what you've heard, what have you heard? I think from his word, uh, hopefully, you heard that he has a light of the world program And uh, together with everybody else who's a believer in Jesus, uh, you're it. And you need to shine. Isn't that right? All right, so we have all these candles up here, you may have noticed. What I want you to do is like, look at a candle, choose a candle. The candle is you. Don't worry about the fact that 33 other people have chosen your candle. Don't be possessive of your candle. Just pick a candle. That candle is you. All right, when we raise the lights up as high as they go, and they're pretty close, I think, at this point, um, let me ask you, how much darkness is your candle dispelling right now? Because your candle right now is you in here. And in here is an awesome place. Like, in here is a place that we need to come, and I certainly need to come, to foster the flame of my faith, Okay. In here is awesome, and it's great that we gather together once a week and that we come together in our community groups at other times and so on and so forth, and that we burn bright in this place. There's a lot of light in this place, but when we take the lights down, it's amazing how much more darkness your candle that is you, but now out there, is dispelling. Don't you think? Guys, you are the light of the world. There's no other program. This is it. Jesus has kindled a flame in your heart if you believe in him. And his calling is for you to shine. In here, yes. But out there, too. The world needs the light that we have. And we need to give it to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. 
We thank you for our Savior. We thank you for your Spirit who lives within us, who, who speaks to us, Lord, who wakes us up, who gives us faith and guidance and instruction, who even in moments like this begins to tell us what we are to do, who convicts us of sin that we might be free of it, repenting of it and turning from it and learning to live differently, who encourages us in our gifts and and in our resources and abilities. Lord, make us light for this city that you love and have placed us in as exiles needs light. And we thank you for Priscilla and her amazing team. God, we are so grateful for raising her up and them up in this season of our city's history. Thank you for the relationship that, by your goodness, we've been able to cultivate and continue to grow in, and we pray that we would continue to grow in it. We pray for every student and every family at Fort Lauderdale High School. We pray, Lord, that your light be seen and heard and felt and and eaten in some cases and experienced and, and all these different ways that you would establish that it be experienced and seen by those families and by those students. Lord, we pray your protection over that school. We pray your provision over that school. And we pray that through that school, we, from this church and all of these churches and Church United around the city, might really be able to shine. Do these things we ask for your, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.